Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Delete. Today's guest is Dorno Porter, who is one of my favourite people to follow on the internet and favourite people to hang out with in real life. She is a novelist, columnist, broadcaster and designer who lives in Los Angeles with her husband, Chris O'Dowd, and two sons, Cat Lulu and her dog, Potato. I got to go around there when I was visiting West Hollywood um, this month and I got to go around to her house and chill out in her garden and she made me a lovely cup of coffee and it was just really nice being able to see where she lives with the sun shining and talk to her all about her book The Cows which was such a fun read that I read last year. You should also subscribe to her podcast which is Get It On. It's a weekly podcast where she interviews interesting people about what they wear and why they wear it and I've heard rumours that season two is coming back so make sure you are subscribed for that and also go back and listen to the backlog of all the others because they're amazing. So her novel The Cow came out last year and it was a Sunday Times bestseller. I actually interviewed Dawn for this podcast. She was, I think, number five. And um, it was a few years ago now. And she was writing The Cows. And I remember her saying that she was really stressed out about it. And um, she was very honest about how hard it was and actually how much of the experience was really quite stressful and anxiety inducing and it was just so amazing to see her book do so well after working so hard on it. The Cows is a powerful novel about three women who judge each other but also judge themselves. In all the noise of modern day life they need to find their own voice and you really go on a journey with them as they discover who they really are. The three women in the book, their lives sort of interweave between each other's. Their names are Tara, Cam and Stella and um, they live quite extraordinary lives. I love the characters that she's created. They're not, you know, 100% likeable at times, but they are very real and very complex. I love how all of their different lives do end up um, crossing over into each other's and um, you get a lot of life lessons along the way. I also love how one of the topics of the book is motherhood and all of the different choices that women make um, when it comes to being a mother or not being a mother. I love that the overall message of the book is about how it's sometimes okay not to follow the herd. So here is the episode and I really enjoyed doing this one as I always do with Dawn and here it is. I'm with Dawn. Oh, Porter. But Hello. this time we're in LA, which is so exciting for me. You love it here. I love it. And it just feels really cool that we did this over a year ago in London when you were visiting. And now I'm inside your amazing house. It's great. This place is amazing. I don't understand why everyone isn't trying to live in California all the time. I know. The weather is so good. Well, you say that. We did have a rainstorm last night. I use that as an excuse to stay in for the first time and just like stay in the hotel room and just be cosy. And that's nice. It is. It was for the last couple of years that we have had proper winters like it's cold enough that you need to wear a coat and um and I quite like that because the summers are brutal. I mean I think now because I've lived here for so long the weather's not really a factor in it. It's like it's just a cool place to live. Mm. I know what you mean and also I feel like it's more sociable here and I don't know if I'm assuming that but wandering around and kind of going to Venice Beach and and just visiting all these different places people are out and about I have this thing with London where I miss it so much and then I'll go back and usually around week three or four of a trip back I'll get stuck underground for about 10 minutes Mm. and literally just want to get the hell out of there but also London is amazing but London is amazing and also meeting people here they've been like oh you're from London and and then they're like do you like it there and I'm like yeah I do I love it there and you can tell they are interested in hearing about it, but 
this is really great here. <laughs> I, think it's, I think that's the thing with London is that you can feel it can be exhausting. And even though it's so big, especially in the media, you can feel like it's quite small. You see the same people all the time. Mm. And it is, it is small. I feel like it's, I'm on a day out in London, I'll probably bump into someone I know. And so I think it can feel a little bit claustrophobic sometimes. Then you come somewhere like LA and it's just got this feeling of space and air. And so that, I think that maybe makes it feel that way. Mm. But I do think like, what was that quote? Tire of London, tire of life. It's true. London is the best place in the world. Mm. I do think it is. When the sun's out, I do think yeah, that. Summer's in London. But, oh, but that whole I feel like, Oh, yeah. But last time we, we did this podcast, I feel like lots of things were like just about to happen because you were writing the cows or it just been written. You also hadn't had your second baby no, then. No, and I was wow. like, God, it's really amazing how much has happened since we last. So I'm trying to think when that was. So Art would have been around one? Yes, he, he, I think he was just one. Just one, and so I'd written the cows. I think you were on the other side of it, and oh, you were talking about how painful it was. Was I? Okay, God, yeah, okay. That, it's, it's so odd, because that, to, to think that I've had another baby since then, and the cows was still the most painful experience out of both <laughs> of those... Um, it was, it was, and then, and then it came out, and it was all fine, and it did well, and, and it then was it was a Sunday Times bestseller. I know, I know, I still can't believe it. I do think there's something about like your moments of biggest anguish will probably create your best art. I've got to, you just got to be like, maybe that's true. Did you know whether you were onto something, or were you genuinely like, I just don't know how this is going to be received? I think when I wrote it, when I'd written it, and I remember saying this to Chris. I remember saying to him. I don't know if it's very good, but I know there's nothing like it, and that's good enough for me right mm-hmm. now. I think I've done, written something really different. Um, and so that, that felt good, but I had... I had to just trust... My elbow just fell off my chair. It's a bit embarrassing, <laughs> isn't it? Um, I had to trust the fact that my publisher wasn't demanding a rewrite. And, you know, they've got a lot at stake. They've put money into it. They're going to do this huge marketing campaign they've got to have a book that they like and she was so positive mm-hmm. that I had to believe her because I, I, I think I even called my agent and I said if she hated it she'd say wouldn't she because there's they would just not put this book out this year but she was everyone yeah. at Collins was so positive that I was like oh, maybe it's okay so then I just had to just allow it to be good and just like just hand it over and and then people read it and liked it yeah it's all okay I feel like that's why it's such a special relationship with your editor because they're the person that's like telling you the truth and if they like it you know you're safe. You do. I mean that's that is true. It is true because you oh god you I would do you hand it so usually you write a draft and then you you hand it in and you're free of it for about 2 weeks while they read it and they go over it and you've got no work to do in that time and it's amazing but at the same time there's this anticipation because you know it's going to come back. And the notes are either going to be really good or really bad or really annoying because they might want you to do certain rewrites and it's like doing edits and rewrites is so laborious mm. and so hard. But there was, with each copy that draft that I sent her, there was less and less rewrites and more, let's just flesh this out. That was always the, that was always the note. Let's just flesh this out. So we had gone through a real process together. So I, 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 I had to just, I had to just, get rid of my anxiety at the end and just accept what she said but yeah mm. it is a relationship you have to build a lot of trust you have to trust that it's not within their interest to put out a shit book yeah and so shit books out there it's, it's the publisher's fault not the writer's fault because that's their job the editor's supposed mm. to go this isn't very good I loved it so much thank you I also love the subject matter so much because 
I mean, I find myself at the moment really unsure of whether I want kids. Mm -hmm. And I actually listened to a radio show recently where two women were discussing their decision not to have them. And they're like in their 40s. And um, I was like, why am I listening to this with such intrigue? I think it's so relevant, talking about it. Oh, no, I do. How old are you? 28. Oh, yeah. I mean, Christ, you don't even need to think about it. Oh, you do need to think about it, I suppose. But I, I felt for me, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure. I think the truth is, is that when you're not sure, you probably do. The people who I know who don't want kids are not unsure. They don't want kids. And I think for me, my unsurety was just me not being ready. Mm. If I was being honest, scared of it. yeah, yeah. And if I was honest, like at twenty-eight, are you seriously fucking twenty-eight? I mean, I'm nearly twenty-nine. That is ludicrous. I'm ten years older than you, and you are unreal. This is ludicrous. But you look so young. I am so beautiful. <laughs> this is, but this no. is why I just assume that everyone's my age. That's so funny. Um, I just assume that everyone is nearly forty, <laughs> like I am. But yeah, I think oh, how I think if I was if I'm really honest, I used to say I'm not sure. I don't know if I want kids. I think a lot of it was a little bit of uh, self protection, being like if I don't meet anybody, if I, if this doesn't happen, I'll be fine. But I think if I go back, there probably was a little light in my belly burning, saying I think you do want this. Yeah but always knowing that I'd be absolutely fine if it didn't happen. I don't think I was one of those women where if it didn't happen for whatever reason that I'd have been, you know, crippled by it, that it would have ruined my life. And I've got friends who it's literally just made them so sad. I don't think I would have been like that, but who knows? Because then I got to 35 and I was like, oh my God, I have to have a baby. And then it was just out of control. I just had to have it. So... The only reason I'd never felt like that before is because I wasn't ready for a baby. Mm. So I do think the same thing happens to my sister. You just wake up one day and you're like, shit, and just wait for that feeling. And if it never comes, then you don't have to do it. I think that yeah. is that simple. I just don't, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. I think, I think the thing is to remember is that, um, yeah, I think, I think it can just hit you like a fish in the face one day and just realise that it's what you want to do. Mm. And until, until then, you don't need to know. You just don't need to worry about it. I think Grazia Magazine now have a column which is like about uh, motherhood, but it's not one columnist, it's like people's takes on motherhood, so it might be someone who never had them, might be someone who, you know, is talking really openly about miscarriage, like it's just amazing, I think, that column and the idea behind it, because there's so many different perspectives, but I thought, you know, your book really talks about all the different ways of wanting children or not wanting children. When did that idea come to you? When I was in this state like you are, of just, I you know, spent most of my life not knowing if I wanted to have kids, so it wasn't hard for me to access that as a character idea. And thinking, what if I never woke up with that, you know, feeling of wanting to have one? Or what if I'd never met Chris and wanted one but didn't have anyone to have one with? Mm. And what would I do in that scenario? Would I, you know, just freeze my eggs or would I go and find a sperm donor or would I just go and try and get pregnant on a one night stand and just never tell that person and just do it mm. um, and I just it just kind of got me thinking about how everyone's situation is just so different is it but Stella that does Stella, who thinks yeah, about doing yeah, that yeah 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 and it's but I just I mean that's terrible I, I'm really on the fence morally about where I sit with that mm. if, if a woman has a one night stand and she gets pregnant okay there's two ways of looking at this uh, she was motivated to do this so she went out to deliberately try and get pregnant and she did. That's what, see, there's the fridge that I told you that would come on. I apologise, everybody, that's my loud beer fridge. <laughs> um, so Stella uh, wants to have a baby, so she deliberately tries to have sex with someone to get pregnant. She has no intention of having a relationship with that person. But Or 
uh, Tara, the other character, gets pregnant on a one night stand and never mm. tells the guy. They all overlap, obviously, they like all, no yeah. spoilers, but they all overlap and it comes to an ending where you're like, wow, because it's really realistic as well. Well, I think those are really realistic scenarios. Yeah. And I just, I think, I think, I, when I go back to London especially, I have so many friends in their late 30s, early 40s, who aren't in relationships, who want to have children. Mm. So what, do they just not get to have kids because they never met a guy? Um, or do they just find a way to get pregnant that doesn't cost $40,000 by having can their you eggs buy, present? You can buy sperm. You can buy sperm, but it's all about... Or you could just know when you're ovulating, go and get pregnant on a one-night stand. I'm not saying it's mm. right. I'm just like, I'm just put with the cows. I just put myself in the position of someone who would just be like, I could get pregnant tonight. I've done an ovulation test. Mm. I know it could and happen. And wanted a baby that badly, I'm yeah. sure. Like she does in the book. She's like... Just, just get me that baby. Yeah, I could just go and go to a bar, meet a reasonable guy. I don't want to ruin his life. He never needs to know about this. Um, and I can have my baby. And it's very difficult when you're inside that character's head to be like, you're wrong. Of course, in the grand scheme, scheme of society and like what's right and wrong is. But it's, you, can, you can imagine how a woman could kind of get to that if that was what she wanted to do. So, and also how a woman who got pregnant from one night stand who you know, didn't have any other, uh, didn't have any relationship on the horizon or whatever, and just thought, why should I get rid of this baby? I'm actually good to have it. Mm. And um, so, God, I don't know, that's what I loved, loved about the book, is that I was just asking myself constantly, is this right, is this wrong, am I angry with this person? If I met yeah. this person, would I be like, you bitch, or would I think, good for you? And, I, you know, I still don't know. I love that it's so ambiguous yeah. about whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, it's interesting that it is quite, like, the ethics of it is, is questionable, sort of, but then you kind of, like, you're rooting for them because they're doing stuff for themselves and, I don't know. Because didn't, is it Cam? Yeah. The character who kind of, people kind of didn't like, who blogged and had loads of money. Oh, yeah, 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 Cam, Cam, Cam. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I mean, I don't know. I, I just think that there are, if you just look at your small circle of friends, how different is everybody? Mm. And how different, uh, you know, the choices that people are making, whether they're having kids or not having kids, or how they're having kids. I mean, you know, I've got friends out here, gay couples that are getting, uh, having babies with surrogates, and, um, you know, single women who are freezing eggs, and single women who are getting sperm donors, and one single gay friend of mine, a guy, he wants babies, so he's gonna get a surrogate on his own. It's just like, everyone mm. is just doing all these different things, and, I don't, I don't think there's any any real right or wrong, but the, the, the moral thing comes from when a guy, is it wrong to just steal a guy's sperm, which mm. is what I call it in the book, and just have, have a baby by someone and never tell them? Or would it be, is it mean to tell him and then mm. ruin his life? Or that, maybe not, but you know, yeah. the, from a one-night stand. I love and it. That, so and, and that conversation that you, you might have with your child when they're older and be like, I wanted you so much. Yeah. Like that I did this. Yeah. Or then do you not tell them? Or do you not tell them? Do yeah. you just, I mean, would you just say, look, I, um, would you be honest, I had a one night stand, that was it, didn't know the guy's phone number, <laughs> that's, you know, being a modern woman, or would you be like, um, the relationship didn't work out, he, he died, I found your dad in a sperm donation book, I mean, what would you tell them? I don't know. Oh I just gosh. think when a, you're in a situation in your life where you don't know if you want kids, for some, some women, their need for children is so overpowering mm -hmm. it really is what they feel they need to do to you know feel complete in their existence and I think when you've got that state of mind is it right that the world should just say no you can't have one just because your situation doesn't add up mm -hmm. I don't know I think it's so juicy yeah it is so, but, so juicy. but you know I was I was flicking through the cows the other day because I was doing an interview about it I just needed to remind myself a few things and um and I did I had those thoughts I'm like 
still don't know if I agree with this or not. Mm. I think if I was 37, desperate for a kid, I'm, maybe I'd be one of the, maybe I'd go out and try to get pregnant. Maybe I would. But I remember speaking, I was doing a documentary once, I uh, don't know if the scene actually made it on screen or not, I can't remember, but I was interviewing a fertility doctor and he said that the majority of the women that he looks after are over 40 and working in tele- TV mm. and they haven't had kids because of the, how brutal the hours are and if you drop out for a year, it's hard to get back in. And I was like, Jesus, I think I interviewed him when I was probably around mid-30s and I think that's when I thought, oh, I'm going to make the decision to have kids rather than let my career consume me. I just mm-hmm. think it's so depressing that you do kind of have to make a decision for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, if you're freelance. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, a lot, a lot of my friends who, who are single and child-free are also freelance. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, just, that's just how it's turned out for them. Yeah. I think, you know, you kind of, maybe there's a bit of a dating rush when you get to your late 30s being like, shit, maybe I need to sort this out. Mm-hmm. And then you're going on Tinder and it's all a bit impersonal and weird. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like such an old married person when I talk about this. I was such a dater and so <laughs> out there throughout my 20s. And I met Chris on my 30th birthday and I thought... I love that story. I know, but I thought that that would be me. I'm really, I still find it really bizarre. I feel like my comfortable area of conversation is being single, not really knowing what your future is. And I still find, I find it so surreal that actually... I'm married with two children, mm-hmm. and it's all turned out to be quite traditional. And um, so I start to have these conversations like I'm having with you now, and then I just feel like, oh, I don't really feel like I can contribute to this anymore, because I actually mm-hmm. ended up going down that road. But I also think, because the apps move so quickly, like I met my boyfriend six years ago, so I've never been on Tinder. So I feel like out of that loop, because mm. I'm like, well, I've never used a dating app. And that's, a, that's not even anything that um, haven't been, you know, it's not like a long, long, long time. But I, I, I feel like you, you really do balance so much stuff. It's really, it is really genuinely like, it's just comforting to watch because you're like, oh, you're, you're doing it. Like, maybe we can all do it. Although what I did do this year, which is the best thing I've ever done, is just started dropping projects, which is... Um, you wrote that amazing column for Glamour that I just feel like everyone in the world about read. About stopping was, Bob. And was talking about, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's like the power of just deciding that something might need to... I'm just the power of being in control of your own existence. Mm. I was just, I was, I had so much going on when I had art. So I feel like I've said the sentence so many times, but I launched Bob and um, signed the book deal for the cows, both on the same day when I was mm-hmm. seven months pregnant with art. With this feeling of nothing, child, uh, having a child is not going to hold me back. I'm just going to do all this, life's going to carry on. And I was just like, you know, to, Art was a lovely, easy baby. And what was really awful is that he was the easiest part of my life after I had him. And mm-hmm. everything else was just so stressful. The book deadline, the business. And then I just had this baby and I'm just like, God, I should, why aren't I just enjoying this lovely thing? And I just went, Bob was so stressful and I loved it so much. It was like my other baby. But after a, a year, I was like, I was at this crossroads with it where I... It was starting to grow and I was starting to think, right, I carry on with this, I get investment and it consumes my life or I just walk away. Mm. And oh my God, I just decided to walk away. I just literally overnight went, I'm going to shut it down. Suddenly I just mm. felt so in control of my life again. I just couldn't stop smiling. Chris kept saying, you okay? And I was like, I've never been happier. I've never been happier in my life. I feel like, where's my computer? I just want to write books. Where's my baby? I just want to spend time with him. Yeah. And just... I just didn't, I took on so much 
and I wasn't really doing a great job at any of it and that's that's crap mm. that's a crap feeling now I don't have Bob anymore and I feel like I'm nailing writing and I'm nailing motherhood and I'm nailing all the other little projects that I can take on now mm. <clears throat> and I think I think one thing that motherhood did to me is it made me into a bit of a martyr and then when I had Valentine I just took six months off just said no to everything for six mm. months had the most dreamy time and then now I'm back at work and I feel amazing and I just can't so you know t- can't wait to take stuff on and I just think so yeah I did juggle a lot and I do juggle a lot but the lesson that I've learned is I only juggle what I can manage mm-hmm. and if that I, moment of clarity yes. sounds amazing and when something comes in and it's too much I say my a- agent will email this thing's come in and I'll kind of say yes and then a couple of days later I'm, I'm like I don't need to do that that would be really fun but it will make everything else incredibly stressful. Like I'm going back to the UK next week for an afternoon. So I'm going to be, I'm leaving, I'm leaving here on Sunday and I'm back here on Tuesday lunchtime. Um, because it was a job that I wanted to do, but I, I don't want to be away from my kids. So I'm like, I'm, I'm making things work now by just making sacrifices like jet lag and stuff like that. But I, I don't want to spend a, a week in London because I know now that if I spent a week in London away from them, that would make me feel crappy, and I'd end up. I just, I, so I just, mm. I just, I'm making better decisions. That sounds, that sounds quite stressful going to London for an afternoon. I actually think it sounds awesome because I'm going to get two flights with no children. I'm going to get so drunk and watch movies yeah. the entire way to London, host an event, go to bed in a hotel, get on a plane the next day, get drunk and watch movies again all the way back. That sounds like, the, that's the best. I love flights. Amazing. Like for that reason, yeah. I mean, when I get over the anxiety, podcast. Films, it's amazing. Champagne. And now because I've shaved off a lot of the work that makes my life stressful, when I'm on a plane, I'm not on my computer going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god I've got so much to do. I'm, I've mm. actually got downtime now. So I feel like I'm just so in control of everything at the moment. I, and so I spoke to my literary agent yesterday for the first time since, um, since I had Val. And he was just like, God, you sound very together. And I'm like, I really am. Mm. It feels really good. I feel like I'm about to do my best ever stuff. I love that. It just sounds like you know yourself so well. Yeah. You're like, I know that that will make me feel crap. I know that will make me feel good. I didn't, I was so resistant of being like, motherhood did this to me or motherhood did that to me. But when you're with your kids and you're upset or stressed or distracted, it really makes you analyse yourself because that's a really horrible feeling. So when I had Bob, I, you know, Valentine wasn't around when I had Bob, but when I had Bob and I was with Art, I was just always checking my phone, like stressing about investors, like crying, like being like this, and that was what I was like around him. And it was just, I was just, that being with him made me realise that I wasn't actually very happy. Mm-hmm. So I think it's quite a good, you don't want to be like that around them, and so it makes you look at yourself differently. So it does ground you, and it does, it does make you realise who you are and what you're doing, mm-hmm. which is quite nice. Yeah. And I'm not saying you can't have those revelations if you don't have children. Of course you can. But for me, that was what made me realise that I was taking on too much. Yeah. Just that I was, I was with her all the time, but I wasn't present enough mm-hmm. because I was always distracted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I only do enough whether I'm with my kids, I'm just with them. Apart from it. when I'm doing Instagram stories, which is become my latest <laughs> Please obsession. just do them forever. I can't. I'm addicted. Someone needs to I know that you're addicted away. to doing them, but I'm, we're all addicted to watching them, so. It's terrible. Yeah. Like, now I'm, but at least it doesn't upset me. Because like, with Bob, I'd like look at my phone and burst out crying. With, with my Instagram stories, I'm literally laughing at myself on my phone. And while my ch- baby's like rolling off the couch. <laughs> it's so bad. I just... Can't stop. The, the the old journalist in me doesn't want to just put really personal crap. I don't really want to just go, I'm going to this, I'm going to this, I'm going to this. I, I do want to find 
like a thing that I talk about, or at least something interesting. So, you know, this week I've just posted loads of stuff and I feel completely overexposed and a bit embarrassed. I don't want to be like, oh, I'm sitting in bed, my kid just came in and cried and the dog shat on the floor. Like, I actually don't want, I don't want to talk about that, but that's what's so addictive. You're like, they need to know what just happened. They need to know that my hair's out of place. They need to know that I just changed my socks. Like, it gets really obsessive. No, but I think it's good to show all the different like parts. Like that's what I think I need to do more of that. Because if I have a bad morning yeah. and my dog shout on the rug, I probably wouldn't tell anyone because I'd be like too distraught. Whereas yeah. I love that you're, you know, you're like, yeah, that happened. That did it's happen. Fine. It was so bad. <laughs> I because um, I was really worried. I was like, is it has this scarred you for the whole day? This is probably what motherhood does as well. Is you're like, I well, mean, anyway, I'm used to vomit and I'm I've used had, to poo. I've had a cat for 13, 14 years. <laughs> oh, I've had yeah. a dog for ten years, and I've got two kids. It's my cat has decided I've got this beautiful green 60s chair in my living room that I've had for 10 years and just for the last three weeks she just uses it she pisses on it she just pisses on it every morning because she's old and mad (laughs) and I'm so upset so I've got someone coming later to steam clean it so I've been dealing with that which has been quite emotional for me and then like I've just potty trained up but he refuses to poo in the toilet so it's just still have to deal with nappies and just this cow pat every day (laughs) and then Valentine is just you know just started on food so he's just doing massive human shits now and then potato <laughs> is getting old and just shits on the carpet i just it's just constant oh. and then potato the other day we were just in cvs which is a big pharmacy out here and he just pissed in the middle of cvs on this thing and i had to clean it up with baby wipes i feel like baby wipes is a big part of um my life <laughs> <laughs> my like, wet wipes have been a big big part of my life Oh, oh yeah, baby good. wipes are a big part of it all. But yeah, no, I, I, might, I, might, I feel like I come out here to this little office and I do some work and some Instagram stories and then when I'm not doing either one of those things, I'm clearing up someone's shit. <laughs> Day in the life. Day in the life. So are you, are you working, talking about you writing in here, um, are you working on the Renny and Flo yeah. part three? Part three. <gasps> so they're like 26 and living in London. Because uh, how, how old are they in the first one again? Like they were fifteen 14, in the first one, then eighteen 15. in the second one, right. and then yeah. sorry, we live by an alley. We get a lot of banging, <laughs> and there was just someone having a really big panic attack in the alley this morning. It was so dramatic, oh and just like, oh my god. <laughs> um, anyway, they uh, yeah, so they're, they're twenty five, twenty six. They're living in London, and um, yeah, Flo's not great. Flo's not in a good place, and Rene is doing bad things. Does it come out this year? Next year. Well, I'm going to write it before the summer, and then they might want to bring it out in uh, at Christmas, and then because I'm going to write another one for Collins at the end of the year, so they might want to bring that out. I've just got my is problem that, at the moment. That, is is like, that the cows part two, or is no, that totally different? Totally different. So yeah, that's um, oh my god, amazing. It's great. Oh, but the only thing about writing a book that did really well is um, it's quite a lot of pressure for the next one. I keep I keep hearing that expression, you're only as good as your last book, you're only as good as your last book, and just thinking... They've all done so well, though. They've done... They, they, do you know what? I've been lucky. They've done well so far, but um, I love writing Renee and Flo It's nice being back with them, because you. it kind of sounds cheesy, but it is a bit like picking up old friends. Like, I know who they are, and, um, and because it's kind of so... I mean, it's moved way away from my own life in the third book, but there's still elements of me and it's still set in the time that I was that age and you know it's 2003 and so it's just quite nice writing that but yeah I've got to come up with a whole new big idea for um another big adult fiction book at the end of the year I kind of feel like writing something that I've never written before and just doing something a bit dark mm. maybe a bit um yeah just a bit loopy it must feel good to know that you you've you know you've done it once and even if it was hard 
you you know you've broken the spell almost definitely I also I I'd like to believe that the cows was the hardest writing experience I'll ever have in my life and that that was my that was my really difficult one that was the one that I'll always think is just the kind of the fact that I was giving birth before it and after it and that I gave birth to that in the middle is all a bit like that was a really hard mm-hmm. experience I can't now I'm done having kids I feel like the rest of my life is ahead of me. It's really liberating and it's really amazing. It's like I've stopped breastfeeding. I can drink what I want. I can smoke what I want. I can I can just do what I want. Mm-hmm. And I can work on what I want. As long as I do it between 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. So I feel really excited about work I feel really like I'll take on a writing project that is way out of my comfort zone mm-hmm. and so that I feel like I feel like that about it I feel you know if I can write the cows under those circumstances and it did well then I should be able to do anything yeah but you know I do but I think the challenge will be like I said as I want to write something that isn't something that I've written before and whether I'm any good at that and if I want to write a thriller or something like that mm-hmm. I might not be very good at it. It just might not be very thrilling. <laughs> so, but I, I like the idea. I feel like pushing myself now. Yeah, um, and the, and do you find like the structure is something that because I've never written a novel and it's I do I don't actually understand how people do it because and I know you you know you plan it but like that is insane. It is. It's hard. That's the nice thing about writing non-fiction is because you've always got some sort of resource to give you something to write about. You can always go and experience something or look something up or mm-hmm. read something. And with fiction, you do. That, that, was, that was why I just don't recommend someone with a three-month-old baby to try and sit down and write a book. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're J.K. Rowling. And honestly, if one more fucking person said that to me, I was just, it was just unbelievable. I might have said that to you on your last podcast, actually, because I just remember I was so stressed and people just kept saying, yeah, but J.K. Rowling wrote... Harry Potter, didn't she? When there was just like a baby yeah. by her feet in a cafe, and like, good for her, great. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. Yeah. But yes, very excited about that third book. It's going to be amazing. It should and be I good. remember when um, back when you, you know, were doing loads of TV stuff. I remember you saying, "I've I've always wanted to just write books. Always just wanted to write books. It's honestly, it's the best job in the world, and especially for like." I keep bringing it back to the fact that it's the reality of my life that I've got kids. I mean, we're sitting out here in my office and my baby is with a childminder in the house. It's the most it's the most amazing situation and I feel grateful every day. Art is at a nursery on our street. I can go and pick him up whenever I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to write books, make up stories and be really around for my kids and not sacrifice any of my career, you know, for mm-hmm. that. So it's, it's all a bit dreamy and I sometimes have to pinch myself and this is why I don't really want to do any more TV because... It would, I'd have to go off on, like, I just got asked to do something here. And uh, the woman who is the producer doesn't have kids. And it's, you know, so just a slightly unsympathetic conversation. Just um, that the the job would involve, so five-week shoot on location, probably about a week to 11 days per shoot. And I'm just like, I can't do that. I've got, I'd have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I just can't go away for 11 days for five consecutive weeks. Mm. So, well, how long can you go away for? Um, three, four days with a week gap in the middle. I'm just like, it's just not for me. Yeah, I just can't do it. It's like if we're if it's getting too complicated at that stage, then yeah. maybe yeah. just can't do it. And I think God, I could make so much more money, and I could, you know, it could all be so much more exciting. And but I just, I've got this opportunity to have a great career and um, and be around for them. So I'm just like, well, I'm just mm. not going to fuck with it. 
isn't it's good to talk about the sacrifices isn't it yeah because then, then we're and then everyone's everyone's more in the open as well like I've got friends who earn more money than me mm. but I don't work you know in a job like that is really stressful to 11 p.m in yeah. an office like there's always going to be that movement oh there is I mean when I go back to Guernsey I'm always in awe of my friends there who all work in big jobs in banks earn loads of money they're most of them surf before work every day. You know, they're on the beach every weekend. It's the, one of the best places in the world to live. I love it so much. Holidays there are amazing. They all earn way more money than I do. But it's not what I want to do. Mm. So I think, God, I could, have st- I could have had that life and it would have been great, but it isn't what you want to do. And so, you know, I, I love doing TV and I love doing all that stuff, but saying no to it actually at this point in my life isn't, doesn't feel like a sacrifice in other ways, only yeah. in that, you know, the money would be nice and it would be quite exciting. Yeah. But um, that's what I was saying before about you just don't be a master about work when you have kids. Mm. At the moment, to go and do TV and be on location would make me feel really stressed. And I can do the job that I love from home. Mm. Um, but I you feel know, very relaxed and zen in your presence. Oh, good. Because this very... time a year ago, it wasn't like that. I feel like I was just so anxious. Mm. And I feel that like everyone I spoke to was like walked away going, Christ, that was intense. But it's like that sort of like success on paper versus like actual, I'm feeling really good about my life. Oh, that's exactly it. Like to close a business is no joke. As in, it's really embarrassing and it's, um, and it's terrifying. And you have to let a lot of people down. And, and also my little dream didn't happen. And I had to make all of, the, I made all of that decision to do that and deal with the consequences of that in around 24 hours. And I made it entirely based on a decision for me and my family. And it was amazing. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know. But I am also addicted to work at the same time. Mm. So I do like constantly have this need to achieve and create. And um, get to do it in the garden. Yeah, I absolutely love that conversation. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you.